I'm Micah Adams, and I would like to apologize to the Los Angeles Lakers. My name is Scott Rafty, and my bag's a pack because I'm going to Wiggy Island. I'm Kyle Irving, and I'm upset that Marcus Smart didn't have the same room that Kawhi Leonard did when he attempted that game-winning floater against the Kings on Sunday. Welcome here into NBA Sound System. We are one month into the season, a perfect time to catch up on any and all things developing. Our one-month superlatives, Scott, Kyle, and I are going to get you started with plenty of topics. So our first topic here, we're just going to talk about the MVP race because it's just front and center, so many dominant stars. So the MVP pace setters, most likely to win the MVP I have five names and five names only for guys who can actually go on to win it. You tell me if you agree or disagree. Giannis, Harden, LeBron, AD, and Luka Doncic. I, I think those are definitely the front runners right now. I just think it might be too soon to rule out uh, Kawhi Leonard, Joel Embiid, potentially Nikola Jokic. Um, maybe even Pascal Siakam. You're gonna you're gonna tell me Nikola Jokic can still win the MVP? I mean, yeah, if he turns it around. Are you kidding me? Have you watched Denver? I have, but what if he turns it around and like he performs like the play he was at the end of last season or in the playoffs, and they're suddenly the number one team in the West? Like, I think it's too soon to rule it out. Is what I'm saying. That's a pretty big hypothetical, though. Sure. Right? And then last but not least, Paul George. I think by the way that he's played the last the first two or three games, like, are we sure that he's completely out of the race? Are you sure Kawhi Leonard's gonna play? 50 games? No, I don't. But if he does play 50 games and Paul George plays the rest of them and keeps the Clippers in the, you know, two or three spot in the West, I think he's he could potentially be in that race, don't you think? Kyle, talk some sense in it. I actually think that it's going to be one of those five players that Micah just mentioned, but I would like to introduce three dark horse candidates that I think, you know, could potentially make their way into the MVP race. I'm going to go with Donovan Mitchell, Jimmy Butler, and Kemba Walker. I think those three players, should their team finish in the one or two spots in their conference, will be in consideration to win the MVP award. But with that being said, I do think that it's more likely that it'll be one of those five, those first five guys that Micah said, with the addition of Paul George, that scotches. Okay, without, without dabbling into hypotheticals and far-fetched theories like Nikola Jokic uh, entering <laughs> Wait, why, the why are you race, picking on me right what now? Are the, what are the, among those five names that I just mentioned who how would you rank rank them one through five uh Giannis is one for me right now Harden two uh LeBron three Luca four 85 I'd go Giannis Harden LeBron Luca and honestly I'm not even sure if I would go with Anthony Davis five right now um I just think that if the Lakers were to finish atop of the Western Conference and if LeBron were to you know I'm not saying he's going to fall off but if he were to drop off a little bit from the you know crazy start that he's had to start the season uh I think that Anthony Davis would immediately become one of those MVP candidates I agree with that by the way I think Pascal Siakam's probably fifth right now of AD um if we're doing it right now I think it's a I think it's a clean sweep with us with the top three Giannis Harden LeBron for me Luca four and uh, I think I agree with that I'm not sure if Anthony Davis is five right now but I think he's probably more likely than any of any of those other guys to to eventually go on and win it okay on to our second one month superlative in our league pass bell of the ball your most fun team or player to watch. I'm going to go with my Phoenix Suns. That's, that's Your new. Your Phoenix yeah, Suns? Yeah, my Phoenix Suns, new into this year. Uh, I, I think I could count on two fingers the amount of Phoenix Suns games that I've missed in the beginning of the year. It just seems like anytime I'm turning on League Pass and I'm looking at the slate of games, no matter who they're going up against, that's a team that I want to watch. Uh, Devin Booker's playing really well. Aaron Baines is playing really well. My guy Kelly Oubre is playing well. Ricky Rubio is doing a lot of fun things. They're just a fun team to watch. They play hard. They defend hard, which they did not do last season, and they move the ball well on offense. For me, it's uh, Luka Doncic. We've already talked about him a little bit. Um, they're just he's a really fun player to watch the Mavs um, have a winning record right now but they're they're just around the middle of the league in net rating so most of their games are close Doncic has played the third most clutch minutes in the league he's been dynamite in those situations Um, he's six in usage rating he leads the league in in time of possession so the ball is always in his hands Um, and he's basically averaging a triple double doing things it seems like on a nightly basis we've never seen um, so all that together, Luka Doncic has been the most fun player in the league for me to watch so far this I, season. I couldn't agree more. I, Dallas Dallas is also my pick. I, I think the Celtics are really fun to watch as well just because there, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, but for me, it's it's Luka. You, you hop on the old Twitter machine if you're not even in front of a TV and you 
hear people going crazy and losing their minds over something that that Luca just did or is about to do. One of the things that I find really interesting. So obviously Luca is the star there in Dallas. He's the featured attraction. He's who you're you're logging in to, to see and watch and, and ooh and ah over. Did you guys know that the Mavericks have actually been better without Luca on the floor than with him on? I, that's a small sample size. I'm, small not, willing, sample size. I'm, not, I'm just, not putting anything in uh, that. The only reason, the only thing that I'm putting into that isn't to necessarily take away from him, but it's to point out that Dallas is far more than just a one-man show. DeLon Wright's been great. Tim Hardaway. Kleber's really fun. Jalen Brunson's a really good player. Uh, and then, obviously, Kristaps Porzingis, too, is is not yet sort of at where he, I think, will be eventually. It's just It just goes to show that Dallas, uh, you know, Luka Doncic is – is like he's the Tom Cruise, he's the Brad Pitt, he's the Matt Damon, but uh, he's probably all three of them combined, honestly. But and that's uh, a that's like a staple of a Rick Carlisle team. Like they've always had um, good second units, always rank among the league's best, and things like that. So I think that just speaks to you know you can pretty much count on Dallas yeah. having a good second unit no matter what. Every all year. right. So we like Phoenix, we like Dallas. Moving on now, this one is they are who we thought they were. This is the prediction that you're standing by who you stand for uh, a month ago, and a month later you're still riding strong? Uh, my answer is Pascal Siakam. I think I was higher on him um, than, than most coming into this offseason. We had like a, a discussion or a heat check on, on NBA.com about whether or not the Raptors can, can build a contender around him. I think everyone said no, me included, although I said it's unlikely but it's possible, um, basically because I was very high on him, but I, I also thought that if he improved as a jump shooter, most notably from from three and mid range, um, that he could become a very clear number one offensive option on a team. And of course, we're seeing that this year. That's the player he's becoming. I have a couple stats for you. Um, so last year, basically all of his scoring came at the rim or on corner three set up by someone else. This season, he's made already 22 above the break, above the break threes. Last season, all of last season, he made 17. Um, he's also 11 for 27 on pull up threes this season. And he was one for eight on those shots all of last season. Yeah, the, the one for eight thing I remember looking up a, yeah, a couple weeks ago. And it just That blew my mind. So I, I didn't necessarily see him making this leap, but I did think I did see in him another leap that he could make um, to kind of be the player that the, these Raptors need him to did, be. Did you see him as a guy that maybe not – I think you mentioned earlier that he was fifth right now in your MVP voting. Did you see him as a guy that would flirt with like being in the top ten? No, not at all. Um, but I did see him. I, I I thought he was a lock to make an All Star team this season. Um, could could maybe flirt with being like an All NBA player. But I definitely didn't see him becoming an MVP candidate. All right, you're riding Siakam, Kyle. Uh, this is more. Uh, they are who I thought they were, not who we <laughs> thought they were. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Denver Nuggets here. The Denver Nuggets are not winning the NBA championship. It's just not gonna happen. And this isn't even to piggyback on on Scott calling Jokic an MVP candidate. This is just to say that. LeBron James and Anthony Davis aren't going to be afraid of playing the Denver Nuggets at any point in the playoffs. Neither are Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I don't think the Utah Jazz are that afraid of playing the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs. I just don't believe in the Denver Nuggets, and I haven't from the start of the season. And it's not because I don't think they're a good team. I think they're a good team. I think they could very easily finish with, if not the best record in the Western Conference, one of the best records in the Western Conference. I just don't think come playoff time anybody's going to be afraid of them. So you don't think that uh, Denver doesn't necessarily get any benefit of the doubt over sort of a strong postseason last year that they had, especially Jokic. They had a strong postseason last year, but they were still knocked out of the playoffs by Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, pretty much just those two players. I mean, like, if Damian CJ can do that, what's LeBron and AD going to do to him? What's Kawhi and Paul George going to do to him? I just think, and again, this isn't really a knock on Jokic. I think Jokic is a phenomenal player, and I think he is an MVP caliber player. But there's something about the dynamic between him and Jamal Murray where Again, Jamal Murray, I think he's an awesome player, but he just can't perform consistently. And they have a lot of you know talented athletic wings who do a lot of great things, but I'm not sure that those things are going to get that team over the top to become a championship team. I'm not sure if the Will Bartons and Torrey Craigs and Malik Beasley's of the world are going to be able to get this team, uh, along with Jokic and Jamal Murray, over that edge to win the NBA Finals. I hear what you're saying. Um, the one thing I will say about this team, though, is that they do have so much depth that they could be one of the teams that makes a big move before the trade deadline. Um, and I think if you, you know, Bradley Beal was talked a lot about a players that they could get before the season or before, before he signed that extension. So he's probably not on the table, like they're not going to get him. 
Um, but if you can add a caliber of player like that to a Jokic and Jamal, Jamal Murray, um, I do think it's possible that that team gets to that level. Not that they're at that level yet, but I, I think that's a sneaky team heading and, between now and the trade deadline. And I absolutely agree with you there. I mean, if they can add another player, if they could get, and then like you said, with the Beal extension, it doesn't make it likely, but let's say hypothetically. They, they actually can't. Bradley Beal cannot be traded uh, this season, so let's just clear clear that one up uh, now, now and forever. We'll go. We'll just go with a player of Beal's caliber. An all-star caliber player. An basically. all-star caliber player moving some of those you know younger more promising wings to get an all-star caliber player then i think that all of a sudden this team could be a team that could go on and win the nba finals i'm just saying with the roster they have right now even though i think that they have what it takes to finish number one in the western conference in the regular season i just don't think that they're a team that can make a a push to the championship i'm I'm sorry they can make a push to the championship i just don't think they're a caliber team that could win at all i got you my uh my answer for this is a team that i actually don't really want to spend that much time talking about it's the knicks they're really, really bad. I don't understand how anyone on earth thought that this would play out any differently than it already has. They beat the Cavs by 18 the other night, and there was like legitimate talk from Knicks fans saying, oh, look, we're only a game and a half back in the Nets. They, they're 4-10. They've had the NBA's easiest schedule so far. It's only going to get harder. The Knicks are awful, and they are exactly who I thought they were. Wait a second, wait a second. They're not exactly who you thought they, they were. They are exactly who you I took, thought they were. We have, we have an over-under game in our office. You, I'm looking at it right now, under Micah's name, over on the Knicks, 26 and a half. Explain okay. yourself. 26 and a half. So they could go 27 and 55. That's still a really bad team. There were, a lot, there were people out there clamoring that the Knicks were going to be competing for maybe a fringe playoff team in the East, putting them in the mid-30s. I, I didn't hear any of that. I heard plenty of that. Okay. I heard plenty of it. I think it's funny that you say that because I actually considered the Knicks for this this part of the podcast, and then I said to myself, well, I really don't want to talk about the New York Knicks, so that's why I decided to go with the we, Denver We've Nuggets already instead. talked too much about the Knicks. Thank you for calling me out, though. I appreciate no that. All right, we're moving on. Uh, ESPN is reporting that Carmelo Anthony set to make his debut with the Portland Trailblazers. He's going to be wearing double zero. He's not wearing 15. That's already retired in Portland uh, for Larry Steele. Of course, he, he also wore number seven more recently. That was Brandon Roy's number in Portland. Not retired, but maybe just doesn't want to step on his toes. Anthony will be the 37th player uh, to wear double zero. That, that number caught me by surprise. thought it would be a little lower than that. But we're talking about uh, high school and college and middle school superlatives here. So... I'm going to name three superlatives for the Carmelo Anthony experience in Portland. I want you to pick one of the three that I give as the most likely to happen. Carmelo Anthony, most likely to succeed, biggest flirt, or the class clown? I'm riding with my guy, Melo. I'm going most likely, most likely, most likely to succeed. I think that. Did you watch what happened in Houston or Oklahoma City? Yeah, but I'm still going to ride with them anyways. I just I think that Melo is exactly what this team needs right now. They just need some sort of spark, like I was saying uh, on this podcast on Friday. And I'm just going to keep riding it out. I'm excited to watch him play tonight. I'm excited for him to uh, rock double zero. I think it's his teammate Damian Lillard who wears zero because that's the number of players that can guard him. So Melo's just doubling down on that. I love it. What was the last option? Class clown. I, it feels wrong to say class clown here. It's that, a little that's mean. A, that's a little mean, but I'm leaning more towards that category than anything else. I just, kind of what you alluded to, it didn't work out great. He, he, was, he was fine with the Thunder during the regular season, um, but it fell apart for him in the playoffs, both offensively and defensively. And then the Rockets experiment only lasted 10 games. Um, you can make an argument that that was too short and they didn't give him enough time, but I, the fact that he's been a year off, he is the age that he is, um, I'm just not convinced that this is going to work out the way that the Blazers need it to. Yeah, I'm, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a skeptic if the expectation is Carmelo Anthony is going to come and be Carmelo Anthony of old, but I don't think that that's the expectation. So I think success is all based on the context uh, and the expectations going in. And, you know, I, I, I sat here and laughed at you for saying most likely to succeed. I'm also taking most hey, likely to go. succeed. Uh Look, Carmelo shot 40% each of his last two years in the league. Of the 130 players that took at least 10 shots over those two years, he ranked 124th. That being said, he's coming in and expected to contribute more than the likes of Kent Bazemore and Mario Hazonia and Anthony Tolliver. You know, he's not expected to be the third best player and missing piece for a championship team. 
like it was in Oklahoma City, and to a certain, maybe to a lesser yet similar extent in Houston. Uh, those three guys are shooting just 33% from the field. I think if, if you were if we're expecting Carmelo Anthony's uh, to come in and be a bench guy that can contribute 18 to 22 minutes a night, I think as long as the expectations are set reasonable, I, I actually think that he's more likely to reach that than he is to uh, completely wash out or or anything. On either end of the spectrum, is there anything that he can do against the New Orleans Pelicans in his debut that would swing you one way or another? So if he were to go out there and shoot over 12, are you all out on Melo? If he were to go out there and go 10 for 10 for the, from the field for 25 points, nah, my answer, I, I'm not going to buy too much into what happens in one game. That's going to be my answer. He hasn't. It's been too. It's been over a year since he's played. I, I, I'm with Scott. I don't think there's anything positive or negative that could happen. Honestly, even in like the first 10 games. Um, that would that would I, I think that's a check back in when the calendar flips to 2020. Um, but moving on, certainly Carmelo worth watching, worth paying attention to. See if he can help right the ship in Portland. All right, we're gonna we're gonna move on to our biggest mulligan. So, uh, what is the prediction or take that's just gone horribly wrong that you were certain of? The Warriors. Easy, easy answer. Um, I thought they were gonna be a playoff team this year. A lot of that was I just kind of banked on Steph Curry and Draymond Green um, being able to keep this team at that level. Obviously, it started terribly, and now it seems like every single person on their roster is injured. This team is destined for the lottery, um, so I think we're just going to have to check back in with them next year. This is an unanswerable question, but so obviously Steph ended up getting hurt, and then D'Angelo Russell got hurt. I mean, they've just been... I've never seen a team battered down with injuries like this before. Do you think had Steph not gotten hurt... Obviously, things would not have gone this poorly, but from what you saw in the first couple of games, uh, do you think a month later we'd, you'd still be saying Golden State as your biggest mulligan? I, I probably would just because it was so bad at the start, and I didn't expect it to continue that way. But I still think, um, you know, I, I think we, we had something up on the site uh, where we had our predictions specifically for the Warriors. And I think all but one of us picked them to make the playoffs and win something like 45, 46 games. Um, Shout out to Carlin Gay for getting that one right by it. So, yeah, they'd they'd probably still be my answer um, just because of that, even though I do think they were better than they were at the start of the season. I had Steph Curry been been healthy. All right, Kyle, you hit one into the water at the start of the season. What's your mulligan? I'm uh, I'm gonna go with Scott's. They are who they, they are who we thought they were. It was uh, Pascal Siakam and the Toronto Raptors uh, last year at the start of the season. I'm not saying that I was a Pascal Siakam hater. I just didn't think that he was capable of doing what he did last year. And then this offseason, I wasn't sure he was capable of improving the way that he has at the start of the season. Um, I never. I, there was no point in the offseason that I didn't think that Toronto Raptors were going to make the playoffs. I always thought they were going to be a playoff team this year. But I honestly think the Raptors can they can make some noise in the East. I actually think so. I actually, you know, he he won the most improved player last year. I actually think he's shown more improvement this year than he did last year and I actually think he's going to win it again yeah we've I, never had it we've it's never happened before there's never been a most improved two years in a row I I legitimately think he's going to do it for a lot of the reasons that Scott spelled that out earlier it's not just like it's a guy uh playing better given a bigger role like he's a completely different player than he was last year yeah, I agree with you there, and I think you know the the stats that Scott brought up earlier about his three point shooting. And there was a moment last night where I would watch him knock down a couple above the break threes, and I said to myself, "I'm like, that's a shot that he wouldn't have even attempted last year." Siakam looks awesome, and Scott and I had a conversation earlier this morning, and I had talked about how Siakam didn't really look that great last night. And then I looked back at his stat line, and I'm like, he had like 28 and five. I mean, that's it's pretty impressive for a player who you know last year that would have been oh he had 28 and five. What a huge game for Pascal Siakam. Now we're you know reverting that to the norm for him. It's it's pretty impressive, and overall as a team, once Lowry went down, Nabaka went down. I was kind of thinking to myself, I'm like, all right, well, we're really going to see what this team is made of with their depth and stuff like that. And they've found ways to prevail. They're still picking up wins, and honestly, the the Toronto Raptors have proved me wrong to start the yeah, season. Siakam's reached that point where even on nights where he just doesn't have his best, he still has a massive impact, and he just he finds a way to just he he gets his numbers. It's sort of like I'm not saying that he's LeBron. But it's sort of like when you watch LeBron play, LeBron can have the worst game of his season, and then you look up at the end, and he's like, oh, he had 22 and 8 and 6. And Siakam is, is kind of in that in that realm where, like, he's not out there. He doesn't have the six-point clunker 
uh, too often. He doesn't really even have like the twelve or eleven point clunker. Right? He could he played horribly against the the Lakers in the game that they won at Staples. I think he had twenty three and eleven maybe in that game. So about that game too, I was just about to say that um, he didn't shoot well in that game. But one thing he did is that he never stopped attacking, um, and it really paid off in the second half when they made that big run. And after the game, um, he kind of credited that to his one year that he spent with Kawhi and talked about how he learned from Kawhi's uh, poise and how he never got rattled. Um, and I think that's, you, you can't really measure that uh, when we talk about like how much he's improved. But that, that's one of those things that I've seen in him this year that kind of has helped him make the leap because I think he's very aware of how good he is um, and how important he is to this team and how he needs to be aggressive. And like you guys are saying, even on nights when he doesn't have it, he never stops. Um, he has one of the the big the highest motors in the league, um, and, and it it really helps him. It's helped him become this caliber of player. I, I couldn't agree more. My uh, my biggest mulligan, um, and it's it's a big. This is a big divot. I probably broke the club swinging. Uh, is the Chicago Bulls? I had Jim Boylan as yeah, my as my coach of the year. Oh man, I I that's that's about as bad as it gets. Uh, he might be. I don't know if anyone's seat is hotter than Boylan's. I thought the Bulls were going to play hard. I thought they were going to defend. Zach Levine was talking about playing defense and making the All-Star team and 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 repping Chicago in the All-Stars game there in February. I thought Laurie Markkinen might flirt with making the All-Star team. He looks like a complete shell of himself. And then, you know, we made a big deal about how they, you know, they went out and signed these vets. They signed Sadoransky and they signed Thad Young. Both of them haven't worked out. You know, if, if Kobe White wasn't out there, you know, hitting seven threes in a quarter and, you know, providing some glimmer of hope, uh, it would be really, really dark in Chicago right now. Yeah, I I went out of the way to watch the first four Bulls games of the season because I thought that they had a chance to be my league pass team this year. And, Mike, I remember telling you after those first four games of the season, I was like, this team is not it. They don't I, have it. Not only did I take the over when we did the our over-unders, I, like, locked them in big, bright, bold red letters lock hitting the over they are they are not going to hit the over this year uh but moving on now uh to something a little bit more pleasant we're going to do our biggest brow raisers so the the most pleasant surprise the development that you are happy to see but that you just did not see coming this is my chance to talk about the boston celtics let's go they've been they've been arguably the best team in the nba i mean they're tied with the lakers for the best record in the nba right now uh, they're moving the ball really well on offense. They're you know communicating and rotating really well on defense. And honestly, I mean, this team isn't that deep, and they're still finding ways to work around that. Even after the Hayward injury, they're still finding ways to work around that. Robert Williams has dealt with some injuries, and his Cantor's dealt with some injuries. And no matter who's stepping on the floor for them, Coach Stevens is finding a way to make it work. And I know uh, Scott's not exactly the biggest believer in the Celtics, but and I know there are there are a lot of people out there that still aren't believing in this this start the Celtics have had. But that's kind of like what I talked about at the very start of this, where right now I could be talking about how this team's on a 12-game win streak. That's incredible. I mean, no team had ever lost on opening night and then won 11 games in a row, and they fell short on that Marcus Smart floater on Sunday against the Kings. But seriously, I mean, this team, I, even as a, a Celtics fan, I didn't, I wasn't sure that I was a believer in the Celtics this year as a true contender to win the NBA Finals. And at this point, I mean, they're playing as well as anybody, and I, I can't take that away from them. I just, I just think they're a piece away, to be perfectly honest. Like, I, I think this team is good. Um, I, I'm just not sure I still see them at the level as, as some other teams. So... Um, about, you know, they have, you know, between Kemba and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward, I, I feel like, you know, all of those those four specifically and then add in Marcus Smart, who I, who I think has, has been playing really well to start the year. You know, if those guys are kind of doing what we kind of knew that they were capable of doing, why is, why is this such a surprise, what Boston's doing? I think it's just the way they're moving the ball on offense. I think after what we saw last year where it was a lot of, I guess selfish play is the right word for it, even though it sounds a little harsh. It's just a lot of times last year it looked like no matter when Jalen Brown had the ball in his hands, he wanted to score. Tatum had the ball in his hands, he wanted to score. Same with Smart, same with Kyrie. And that's kind of It was like my, my turn, your turn kind of offense. Right, exactly. And this year it's almost like, it, I mean, it doesn't matter who's has the hot hand on any given night. You know, Jalen Brown could have 30 points and he could get an open look. And if he thinks he can up fake one dribble and then get someone a better look, that's the way they're playing basketball right now. They're moving the ball well and they're playing selflessly. And it's it's really, it's a well-oiled machine on offense in Boston right now. Yeah, Scott, you just mentioned uh, my 
my turn, your turn, your turn. Biggest brow raiser. Um, I alluded to it earlier. Andrew Wiggins of the uh, Let's Minnesota go. Timberwolves. I, we don't have to spend too long on him. We talked um, quite a lot about him last week, if you want to listen to that podcast. Um, but just generally, you know, all the things that he's been criticized for in the past, um, he's showing signs of, of improving um, in each of those things. Specifically, shooting less mid-range jump shots. I think he's driving twice the amount that he did last season. Um, and he's also making great passes in those situations. So this is a pretty easy answer for me. Yeah, the passing to me is, has been the biggest one there. It's not such a, it's not as glaring as the Siakam League, I don't think stylistically, but I think it, it's not it's not far off. He's been he's been great. My uh, my biggest brow raiser is actually uh, the Lakers. I mentioned at the top that I would like to apologize to the Lakers uh, and specifically the Lakers defense. Um, I think you know. Everyone could have pointed to that team and said, man, Anthony Davis and LeBron James are going to be great together. Like, of course they are. I think, you know, Scott, you wrote a piece before the start of the year about how they could be the greatest pick-and-roll duo in the league and maybe ever. I, I don't see any reason why that's any different a month in. My biggest the, – the biggest reason that I was uh, hesitant to declare the Lakers a true legitimate – potential best team in the league. I just didn't think they'd be able to defend. I didn't, I think, you know, Avery Bradley has a reputation for being a great defender, but he really hasn't been for four or five years now. Danny Green certainly is still a a very good uh, wing defender. You know, LeBron hasn't played defense in the regular season for basically since he went back to Cleveland and left Miami. You know, they were, they were relying on JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard because Anthony Davis still doesn't really want to play a lot of center. He's still really not. I just didn't think that their guards, uh, that they'd have the speed, the athleticism to do anything defensively. I could not be more wrong. Um, I, their defense has been spectacular. And they, they all look like they're already on the same page defensively, which is remarkable when you consider all these different plays that they've added. Um, and as you said, Dwight Howard specifically has been a, a pleasant surprise so far this season. Um, he's just doing all of the things that I think everyone's been wanting for him for about two years. He's basically not posting up at all anymore. Um, and just focusing on rebounding, protecting the rim, running the floor. Um, and when you have guys, all of whom are locked into their role and know what, what's expected of them and they do that, um, it, makes, it makes a tremendous difference. I think for me with the Lakers, it's on media day when LeBron said that they plan on running the offense through Anthony Davis. And, you know, I just wasn't sure I was buying that LeBron James could play second fiddle to anybody ever in the NBA. And, I mean, so far he really has been. I mean, everything's going through Anthony Davis and LeBron's getting his even more often because of how often they're going through AD. He's looked tremendous as a point guard. He's leading the league in assists. And LeBron's been phenomenal as second fiddle to Anthony yeah, Davis. LeBron is as an assist king could be a could be a brow raiser uh, in and of itself. Um, all right, moving on to our next one. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. It's our biggest underachiever. So this isn't necessarily a mulligan. You're just man. Some someone or some team is falling well short of where you thought they would be. Uh, we already talked about them, but the Bulls. I wasn't high on this team going into the season. But I'm mad because I let all of you talk me into believing that this team was better than I thought they were going to be. But it's I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. I dis- I'm disappointed. Okay. I'm disappointed in them. But also um, mad. I'm, I'm also – I'm both. Um, so the, the Bulls. We don't have to talk about them any longer. We have already, but the Bulls get my vote. Kyle, who do you got? My biggest – or my favorite, um, you know, annual thing – other than the New England Patriots going to the Super Bowl, was being right about the Portland Trailblazers every year. Everyone counts out the Portland Trailblazers every single season, and every year Damian Lillard still finds a way to bring them to the playoffs. Uh, This year, I think that's a little bit in jeopardy, and it's more so their supporting cast than anything. Um, I'm not sure why, you know, I was a big believer in Kent Bazemore and Rodney Hood and, and Mario Hazonia and you know that supporting cast, but it's disappointing so far because they're off to a 5-9 and nine start, um, and they're going to have to make up some ground pretty quickly. Are you letting your preseason infatuation with Portland talk yourself into Carmelo? I think that has a lot to do with it, definitely. I mean, it, I, I'm already a Carmelo guy from the start, and the fact that he ended up on a team that I already kind of root for just because I'm a Damian Lillard fan, I think that just kind of goes hand in hand there. But I think that the uh, the Blazers, so far from what I've seen from them, it's it's concerning. It really is. And I don't think this is just a slow start. I think this is just really what this team is. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to turn things around quickly. Yeah, my uh, my answer is, is somewhat related to Portland. Uh, I thought if you were going to pick any team – to make a surprise playoff run in the West, it would be the New Orleans Pelicans. 
And I thought that, you know, maybe one of the teams they might bump out would be Portland. Uh, but, man, the Pelicans are newsflash are not making the playoffs. And, and, look, a lot of that preseason hype, I'm all in on the Zion train. I'm still all in on the Zion train. Uh, but, obviously, him being out and missing, you know, the first six weeks of the season changed some things. That being said, I thought even without him, uh, they would be competitive. They're 20, they have the 28th-ranked defense. Drew Holiday uh, just has not been very good. He's, he's played a little bit better uh, kind of the last week or two. But I think, I mean, there was noise. I mean, even David Griffin was giving interviews saying Drew Holiday was going to have a Steve Nash-like impact, and he was a dark horse MVP. And even if he didn't take it that far, I don't think it was that much of a stretch to see a world in which, like, Drew Holiday led the Pelicans to the playoffs and made an All-NBA team. Uh, you know, Brandon Ingram has been a, a great story. I I, th- I was expecting more out of Lonzo. I know he's been hurt. He's missed the last couple of weeks. But even, you know, even prior to Lonzo going down, uh, the Pelicans ranked 29th in defense. You know, Zion, I don't think, should have had that big of an impact, certainly on that end of the floor. Uh, maybe you point to some of their, their offensive struggles that he would certainly help, but... I, uh, I'm very disappointed in the New Orleans Pelicans. They just had so many injuries, though. You, you said, obviously, Zion, Lonzo Bull, Brandon Ingram has missed time. Derek Favors has missed time. Um, this team has just been hit by injuries in a, in a big way. Yeah. This doesn't help. No, a- absolutely. And, 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 of course, injuries aren't, are not, never anything that you can predict, but you know we're not going to use it as an excuse either. Okay, moving on now. I want your most tired take. This is the one story that's been talked about too much you're over it. You're done with. You don't want to hear about it anymore. You're just tired of it. Listen, I understand that this is an issue for you know national TV games and yes. stuff like that. Let's, Let's go. go. It's <laughs> it's a load management. In yep. Kawhi Leonard. It has to be. Um, I mean, we. It would be one thing if it. <clears throat> excuse me. It'd be one thing if it didn't work last year. It'd be one thing that if you know Kawhi missed twenty something games and the Raptors went and got bounced in the second round, but it worked. I mean, he won the championship. He won the Raptors a championship. He had the most impressive postseason run we've seen in a long time, and he even credited some of the credited some of that in the off season to the load management throughout the season. So why are we talking about this so often now after we just saw it work last year? So this is my answer as well, and I think part of it is that before the season there was some talk about Kawhi not being on as strict of a load management program um, and, and how he plans to play in more games this season. So I think that's some of it. Like, I think people just had different expectations this season and everything. But in saying that, like, I'm on the same page as you. Um, we saw how it worked last season. Um, so, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I am just tired of it, to be, yeah. to be honest. I, I, actually, I actually think that the whole load management thing is a really big problem. But I also just don't think it's, a, it's anything that could be fixed with a Band-Aid. Like, the, the only way getting around that is probably like blowing up the schedule and significantly reducing it. I mean, and that's just, you know, we're not going to come to to some, we're not going to have our come to Jesus moment in the middle of the season and all of a sudden snap our fingers. It's going to go away. It's the reality of the world in which we live in, right? Like nothing that happens now is going to change. And, and I, you know, I, I think it's a disservice to fans. I think it's a disservice to game the game. I think it's a disservice to the media companies that shelved out billions of dollars to do it. Um, but I also think it, you know, when you when you see people be up in arms about um, the selective choosing of games, right? Oh, we shouldn't sit out the game on national TV. Okay, well, what about the, what about the fans that go to the games that aren't on national TV? So we're okay with we're okay with Kawhi not playing on the second night of a back to back in Orlando as long as he plays on the the Wednesday night in Miami. You know, I think I, I just don't I don't think that there's any good way around it. Uh, but I but I agree with you. We've too much, far too much time has been uh, has been sp- spent talking about that. So let's stop talking about it. Okay, right. uh, my answer is not load management. My actually my answer is a guy that is never load managed. It's James Harden, and specifically, I'm tired that people incessantly complain about watching James Harden. One of there's one of two there's one of two schools of thought. It's sort of like talking about James Harden in 2019 is like trying to have trying to talk politics with someone. It's either you're on one you're on one end of the spectrum or you are completely on the other end of the spectrum. It's either a God I can't stand watching James Harden. I hate watching free throws. All he does is draw fouls. He's manipulating the game. You know what's he ever done in the playoffs anyway? None of this is meaningless. Blah 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 blah. 
And then on the other side, you get every Houston Rockets fan that immediately gets up in arms. Anytime he has a good game, they're the loudest people in the room telling everyone that they're wrong. I just, I hate the polarization of James Harden. I wish we could just enjoy him and enjoy the Rockets without everyone just collectively losing their minds. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's going to be one of these guys that we look back on in 10 years and we just, we, we kind of ask ourselves why, like, I think we're just going to say we took him for granted, to be perfectly honest. Like, we're not appreciating what he's doing in the moment. I agree. But I also think a lot of that is because he just hasn't had a very good playoff history. And I think people collectively are just kind of at this point where it's like, it, what he does in the regular season doesn't matter because we need to see it in the playoffs. Um, I'm not on that train. I think what he's doing is incredible. I enjoy watching him. Um, but I think that plays a large part into it. And I think that's going to be a big part of the MVP discussion as well. Because as we just talked about, I think we all had him second in our MVP voting right now. We're going to be talking about it all season long, whether or not he deserves it or Giannis deserves it or even someone else. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how that all that the past playoff stuff kind of factors into that again. Which, by the way, is absurd. The guy is averaging almost basically 40 points a game and none of us had him as the MVP despite his team you know, being right there among the, the top two or three records in the league. I mean, as of recording right now, they're the hottest team in the league. I think they've won eight straight. They're 11 and three. They've won, uh, lost one more game than the Lakers. That's it. Um, I, I mean, to be perfectly honest, he probably should be number one in MVP. I think that people just discredit everything he does. I mean, for example, the other day, Jamal Murray had 39 points. And I'm like, wow, Jamal Murray had 39 points. That's incredible. If Jamal, I mean, if James Harden had 39 points, it's just a, you know, it's a walk in the park for him. Yeah. I don't think that he can impress anybody unless he breaks Kobe's 81 record or if he breaks Wilt's 100 record. Yeah. I, honestly, he could I, score 70 and do what Devin Booker did the other night. And people would just be like, oh, Harden had 70? Oh, cool. It's, funny, right, it's, it's, it's funny you brought up Jamal Murray because my, my first reaction was the Luka 42 point triple double like James Harden has a 42 point triple double it's just like another night it, doesn't it's Harden crazy the, doesn't Harden have the most 40 point triple doubles uh, in NBA history by the yeah, way I think he, he does, does right yeah, yeah he does um all right moving on we got we got three more to go most off the grid so this is not even an under under the radar storyline it's completely off the grid it's the story that nobody's talking about but we should be talking about we need to be talking more about Carl Anthony Towns um his three-point shooting specifically He's attempting nine threes a game so far this season. That is the seventh most in the league. Not only that, he's shooting 43.5% from three, which is better than guys like James Harden, Buddy Heald, Kemba Walker, and Damian Lillard. And it's not just that he's doing off catch and shoots. He's also doing it off the dribble. Um, as of recording, he's 10 for 21 on the season on pull-up threes. What he's doing, I mean, I, I think it's very clear that he's the greatest shooting big man this league has ever seen. And The greatest we've ever seen? Shooting big man? Yeah. Yeah. Dirk? I mean, in terms of like three-point shooting and stuff like that. You think that, he's a better three-point shooter than Dirk? I think he's on his track to be a be the wow. best, sh best shooting big man ever. Because um, as I was going to say, he's only 24 years old. So to think that he's going to continue doing this for a decade plus, I think he's going to be the most decorated three-point like shooter, big, 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 man, big man shooter in NBA history. I am happy that you brought up Dirk because I just, I just briefly looked at you like you were crazy for saying that he's the best shooting big man of all time. Let's give it a couple more years. However, I do want to mention that at least in terms of his effectiveness as a three-point shooter, this is nothing new. If you take the last three years of Carl Anthony Towns' career, he's been more accurate than the best three-year stretch of Dirk's career from three, which is pretty wild. I just blew my mind. Another, another thing I looked up, um, only two other centers have ever attempted six threes per game over a season. Brooke Lopez did it last year. DeMarcus Cousins did it two years ago. And Towns is taking nine right now. Like he's just gonna he's gonna shatter all those records by the time he's done. Yeah, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, he has no problem dialing it from distance. Carl, you are out of cell service. What's your most off the grid story? Uh, this is just a this is like you said an off the grid take. I think it's that Blake Griffin gets traded and it's going to change the entire course of the league. Wow. Um, I mean, it's going to be tough with that contract. He's making thirty four million this year. He's set to make thirty six and a half the year after that, and thirty roughly thirty nine million the last year of his contract. But the Detroit Pistons are a train wreck right now, and that team's not going anywhere. It doesn't even with Blake Griffin only playing two games, so you can't you know take too much of that into consideration. It doesn't look like they're going to be headed back to the playoffs. So do you, do you think Blake Griffin has sort of slid into that Bradley Beal spot as the here's the really big star that might be on the move? I think so. I mean, it just makes sense because he's someone who's looking to win at this point in his career. He's never been to the finals. And 
you know, he still has enough in the tank to make an impact. As long as he's healthy, he's one of the best forwards in the NBA. And there's a lot of teams out there that could use a player like Blake Griffin. I mean, imagine going back to the Nuggets. Imagine if the Nuggets were to pick up someone like Blake Griffin. I don't know if it would work salary cap-wise. I also think the Orlando Magic is an interesting destination yep. because they have a lot of young pieces. Poland's interesting, too. Yep. All right. Hold those thoughts because we will get to those in a moment. Um, but before we steal that thunder, I want to give a shout-out to the Sacramento Kings. Because they started 0-5, and, and everyone kind of buried them and thought, too much too soon. You know, Not only are they, are they failing to live up to the expectations of a team that might be in that New Orleans or Dallas zone of making a leap, and I think that people after that 0-5 start completely wrote Sacramento off. Marvin Bagley uh, is out. You know, he's out four to six weeks. He has only played in the one game. Well, guess what? They're ninth in the West right now. They're basically right where everyone kind of thought they would be, which is on the cusp of the playoffs in the West. Uh, since starting 0-5, they have the NBA's best offense and a, and a defense that's borderline top 10. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I think that people were a little bit too quick to write off the Kings. Uh, with, And they did get off to a terrible start. I mean, they were getting not, blown they out. Were. They were. They were getting blown, completely blown out. Uh, but they've, they've, I don't want to say they've righted the ship because, you know, it's still very early for that, but they've been good the last couple of weeks. It's insane to think that they've gotten better after losing Marvin Bagley and Darren Fox. I mean, Bogdan Bogdanovich is playing awesome. Buddy Heald's stepping up. They have other, you know, Rashawn Holmes is looking great right now. They just have different guys that are getting the job done, and it's almost like, you know, it took losing two of their best players to really kick them into gear and be like, all right, well, let's just turn it, turn this on and turn our season around and prove everyone wrong. Yeah, de- desperation has its way of uh, sort of flicking the switch there um, every once in a while. Okay, two more to go. Our team most likely to make a move we just talked about Blake Griffin. Kai, you mentioned him as one of the big names that, whatever, maybe Orlando wants him. Maybe Denver kicks the uh, kicks the tires. So what is the one team most likely to make the move? I think the Orlando Magic. Um, I just think that they're a team that has interesting young pieces that other teams would be interested in. Um, I think that they have cap space that they can, you know, flex around, you know, the Aaron Gordons or some of those other young guys that can make a another team better in the future to improve their uh, their present right now. Um, they're an encouraging team in the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference is pretty wide open. Uh, I think the Orlando, Orlando Magic are a team that can make a move. Uh, two teams that jumped out to me were the Denver Nuggets for reasons we've already talked about um, and the Spurs for reasons we can talk about. But the team I went with is the Cleveland Cavaliers. I just think they're going to move Kevin Love at some point this season. Um, he's averaging 18 and 12. He's looked good in the early going. Um, and he's not he's not on the same development timeline um, <clears throat> as Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. So for me, it just seems like a matter of time until they move him to a team that um, believes they're a piece away from actually competing. What's the Kevin Love destination that makes the most sense to you? Uh, I mean, Poland's been talked about over the last, uh, like, what, two or three years yeah. as a destination for him just because it makes so much sense. I think he's from Portland. Um, they need a power forward, a guy who can shoot. Um, I mean, he's a far better option than what they're tr- getting in Carmelo Anthony, essentially. Um, so I, I, I do think that probably makes the most sense for him. Uh, Boston yeah. is another, another team that could use him, um, although I think they, they could probably use um, a better defender at that position. Um, but th- that's, that's, a, that's, an, that's an interesting destination for him. That's, that's a, I'm glad that you mentioned Boston because that's, that's my team most likely to me. I, just, I think they need a center badly. And I, I actually think that it's weird. I, I actually think as currently constructed, they wouldn't be that bad against most of the teams in the West. Like you look at like the Clippers, uh, you know, kind of a little bit thin in the middle as well. Same thing with Houston, like Clint Capella, when you know, he's not really scaring anyone. Anthony Davis, to me, is really the only player on a team that could conceivably come out of the West that really strikes fear. Whereas in the East, you know, Boston's got to deal with Philly and they got to deal with Milwaukee. And right now, they have no answer what, so they don't even come close to having an answer for for Joel Embiid or Giannis. Um, you know, I, we talked about Kevin Love. I think actually the other big uh, in Cleveland, I think Tristan Thompson uh, would be an interesting uh, kind of player to keep in mind. He's in a contract year, but I can see Boston maybe kicking the tires on Tristan Thompson. Yeah, I mean he, he's getting paid quite a lot this year, but it's one of those things that like with him being in a contract year, if you believe that he can make that difference, a, any team. And also, there's a lot. A lot of teams just kind of have 
not necessarily bad contracts, but contracts that they can quite easily match his salary. Um, so that's a good uh, that's a good call. I think Tristan Thompson could be moved as well, yeah, which is why the Cavs, I think, are a team that could could make a couple moves. Sure. And one of the teams that you mentioned and that I want to go back to for for a moment because they're struggling right now. Um, the San Antonio Spurs have not missed the playoffs in what feels like over two decades, and that's because it hasn't actually been over two decades. Um, are the Spurs one of those teams that you think might decide that? you know what, I think we're all set with DeMar DeRozan or even LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, I probably should have done more research before um, we started recording this, but I think it's been over like a decade since they've made an in-season trade, um, especially one that's helped them improve. Um, So they're not necessarily a team that looks to usually make moves like this uh, during the season. I, I honestly just don't know what the answer is for them because I feel like just generally with Pop, no matter what happens with this team, we kind of just you, you kind of just trust the process and like expect them to turn it around at some point. Um, but for whatever reason, it's just not quite working right now. So I, I do wonder if they, they do have a move to make. Yeah, I think if if one guy's on the move there, it's DeRozan. He's got a player option next year for twenty seven point seven million. Um, I I feel like he is you know he's entering sort of the twilight of his career. It might be one last opportunity to really get a big deal. Wouldn't surprise me at all if he were to not exercise that player option. Uh, and then if you're San Antonio, I, I don't know if I'd be wanting to sign up for a long-term extension for DeMar. And it, and if so, they probably would have already done it. So, Well, uh, I was going to say, it's been reported that they've had discussions um, dating back to the offseason of contract extensions with him. And the fact that they haven't yet, I, I do wonder if this kind of his asking price or something is more than the Spurs are willing to go. Yeah, like Kyle, you mentioned Orlando being one of the teams that uh, could potentially be a either a buyer or a seller. Could Orlando maybe be a DeRozan team? I think they could be, and I think that would be a good destination for DeMar DeRozan. But at the same time, I can't see the San Antonio Spurs folding. Um, right now, their biggest issue is defense. I believe they're in uh, the bottom five in the NBA in defensive rating, and I, you know that's a that's a fixable issue for Greg Popovich. Um, I think offensively, they've been fine. I think they have the pieces to be a good defensive team. It's just that you know it's not clicking right now. And I think there was a point last year where the Spurs had felt had fallen to that nine ten range out of the playoff picture, and we kind of started having the same conversation. And then all of a sudden, the Spurs are winning eight out of ten. They're winning you know twelve out of fourteen. And I don't see why this team. They still have a lot of talent. It's still pretty much the same team with a couple added pieces that gave the Denver Nuggets a run in the playoffs last year. I think this team. You know, it's too early to write them off. Yeah, so too early to write off San Antonio for making the playoffs. Probably not too soon to write off San Antonio as an NBA Finals team. So before we get out of here, one month into the season, your knee-jerk reaction, give me your Finals prediction. I'm sticking with what I had from the beginning of the year. I think it's just going to be a fight to the death between the Rockets and Bucks. It's going to be Giannis versus James Harden. Um, you know, the Rockets, they started out slow. I was doubting. I was doubting the Rockets, who I had picked to win the NBA Finals at the beginning of the year. I think it's time that James Harden and Russell Westbrook silence all the haters and they, you know, step up in the playoffs. Uh, I just think it's going to be a really, really interesting duel between I, what could be back to back first and second final MVP finalists in Giannis and James Harden. My, my prediction before the season was Sixers-Clippers. Um, I was torn between the Sixers and, and the Bucks. Right now I'm going with the Bucks just because I've been a little underwhelmed by the Sixers so far. And Giannis has looked awesome, so I wouldn't be surprised if they emerge from the East. The Clippers haven't been the best team in the West. Right now that's, that's the Lakers. Um, I'm just so encouraged by um, how they looked at the start of the season with Kawhi and the level he was playing at, and then how good Paul George has looked since he's come back. Um, and I think when everyone is healthy, assuming they ever get to that point, um, I still think they're the best team in the, in the West. I, I agree. I think it's I think it's the Clippers, and I, I actually think that they're playing possums. Not the right phrase, just because they they haven't had their guys all together. But I, I think that you know the Clippers do not have the. I think they're fourth in the West at the, at the time of recording this. I think that when all is said and done, their pieces just they make the most sense, and I'm not sure anyone's going to have an answer for them. I am, however, going to change my pick. Start of the year, I had the Sixers. I could not be more uh, unimpressed and underwhelmed with Philly so far. I'm going to ride Milwaukee. Not only have the Bucks been uh, record-wise, point differential-wise, been the best team in the East, they're doing it with, by far, they've played the hardest schedule in the NBA. Shout-out to TeamRankings.com. They have a weighted strength of schedule. The difference between Milwaukee and the second hardest is larger than the gap between the second hardest and the 11th hardest. 
So uh, that, that they're doing this without Chris Middleton and against by far the hardest schedule in the league, uh, I think Milwaukee's really good. I think, I think they'll be there with the Clippers at the end. I will say this about the Sixers. Um, they, I, I didn't necessarily believe that they'd be the best team in the East going into the season. I just think they're going to be a pain to play in the playoffs. Um, and I still like the way that they can match up with Giannis when you look at other teams, which is probably they're probably going to face the Bucks. Um, they, they seem like they're going to be the two best teams in the East um, at the end of the day. They can throw Al Holford at him, Joel Embiid, um, maybe even Ben Simmons. So I, I do think that this team, um, even though they might not look at in the regular season, I think they're going to be a very tough team in the playoffs. Yeah, and 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 you know, to your point, I think that Philly's one of those teams that we know it's going to take time for them to figure it out. There's a lot of weird things going on in the roster, so they are far from a finished product. One thing that I do think for this season is a finished product is Ben Simmons, and that was the one thing that needed to change for this team's ultimate destiny to change. That hasn't, so uh, I'm actually I'm going to say right now I am writing off the Philadelphia 76ers. Wow. Just yeah. that, that's it. That's it. It's, it's that simple. I think it's too soon to write them off because of how inconsistent their lineups have been just because of the Joel Embiid suspension, Joel Embiid injuries, uh, Ben Simmons injuries. But I will say that I really think that they, they need a shooter desperately. And this has been their issue for a couple seasons now. Um, you know, they can't rely on Tobias Harris to go out there. And he, he hasn't been great to start the season. He had a good game uh, over the weekend that kind of could get him going in the right direction. But just in general, I mean, they're relying on Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris to be the guys that can knock down consistent perimeter shots. And I don't think that's going to cut it. I think defensively they can match up with anybody in the NBA. And I think that's, like Scott said, that's going to be a pain in the playoffs. But at the end of the day, you need someone who can step up and hit perimeter jump shots. And they don't have anybody like that right yeah, now. Yeah, Philly's certainly one of those teams to look out for moving forward not just one month in but six more here to go before the start of the playoffs before we let you go one piece of breaking news as we're recording mark stein reporting that damian lillard will miss carmelo anthony's first game as a trailblazer due to back spasms so kyle we're gonna have to wait to see double zero and agent zero in action together for kyle irving scott rafferty i'm micah adams Thank you so much for turning into one-month superlatives here on NBA Sound System. We'll catch you next time.